If you're someone who has a passion for cut flowers, our environment, and wants to make the world more beautiful, you're in the right place. Whether you're growing flowers for pleasure or profit, I'm on a mission to empower flower enthusiasts and professionals to help change the world around them. Whether you're just starting out and need a helping hand, or are looking to scale a substantial flower business, I'm your cut flower woman. Welcome to the Cut Flower Podcast. So thank you very much for joining us. I am so delighted to welcome Ellen Mary Webster to our podcast today. Ellen is a gardener, an author, a speaker, a presenter, a podcaster. Oh my goodness. Please do tell our listeners a little bit about you, your background, and how today you got to where you are. Hello, Roz. Thank you so much for having me um, on the podcast. When you just said all those words, when I write them, it doesn't really seem much. But when I hear someone saying them, I think, oh, gosh, maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should be more succinct in what I do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fabulous. <laughs> um, well, basically, I'm a plant addict. I think that would sum it all up. And I'm happy if I'm outside with plants or um, talking about plants or writing about plants. Um, and anything that comes into that kind of area about plants, I will do. I'm definitely a yes person. Um, <laughs> but it all kind of started um, when I was a child. Like I was very fortunate to have uh, parents that had a kitchen garden. And I actually have some photographs of myself. And on the back, my mum's written 18 months old. And I'm outside in the garden with full size gardening tools. Like I don't. Uh, recommend that but apparently in the 70s that was okay so there I am in the kitchen garden and I have a a lot of people in my family who have worked the land and been estate managers or gardeners my uncle was the one who really got me into gardening he used to have if you can imagine one of the old council houses that had really long back gardens. Yeah. The first half was a lawn and the second half was a kitchen garden. And also they used to have low fences. So people would like neighbors would lean on the fence and have a cup of tea and a chat, which was so lovely. And I remember it being a really nice environment to be in. Now, of course, we put up big walls. Big fences, or big fences, don't we? <laughs> we don't want to talk to the neighbors anymore. Um, which is a shame because I think it helps like a sense of community and you can chat about your gardens as well. So um, he used to send me down the kitchen garden. He had this old greenhouse. It was broken. I mean, the panes were smashed. So I don't, it was, I don't really know how it worked as a greenhouse exactly because I mean, it certainly wasn't undercover, but it was there and he used to grow tons and tons of tomatoes in there. And he used to send me down the cabbage patch to pick the caterpillars off the cabbages. And I used to put them in a little jam jar and then give them back to him at the end of the day. I don't know what happened to those caterpillars. Um, I always say, I, I, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to know. <laughs> but I was very satisfied with my work at the end of the day. And then I've always, you know, been into plants. And it wasn't something that I really talked about at school because as far as I knew, no one else loved plants. My careers teacher didn't exactly advise me um, to take the route of horticulture. So one thing led to another and I ended up working, uh, ended up working in human resources, 
which was doing the one thing I said I would never do, which was work <laughs> nine till five. I yeah. always said I was not going to work nine to five and I'm not going to sit at a desk. And what did I end up doing? Exactly that. So <laughs> I had done that for um, a good few years, became a chartered business manager, but all of the time I was still gardening, going to my allotment, doing my garden, doing some gardens in the villages. And then I just thought, you know what? Life's way too short to not be doing something that you're really passionate about. So I took my RHS qualifications, I left my job, and then everything kind of happened from there. (laughs) I truly believe that if you do something that you're passionate about, opportunities will come your way. Um, and, And they did. And I was, I started writing for a magazine, a local magazine, a column monthly about gardening and then the local tv station asked me to go and talk about gardening and that um kind of tumbled very quickly into me producing and presenting all of the gardening content on uh, local tv and then I had a radio show which was a community radio show all about gardening in Norfolk uh, specifically Norwich and yeah written books and for magazines internationally and it's just wild it's a wild ride absolutely wild ride but there is a lesson in there isn't there about if you do something you're passionate about the opportunities will arise and I don't think you think that in the beginning because it's really brave to jump out of a fully paid highly paid role and go I'm gonna go into gardening because actually that transition is massive it's like you know one day saying I think I'll be a flower farmer and then resigning and then next Monday (laughs) turning up at field and going I'm going to be a flower farmer it's kind of it takes a long time to do that transition and obviously it's a bit scary because you're earning quite well and then you're not earning anything and you're standing there going okay now what yeah if you've got the faith and the belief that you're doing something passionate and that you're spreading the word about something passionate then you've got to just keep with it haven't you just got to keep going with it I I totally agree and you know ultimately we are not here uh, for that long in the grand scheme of things so make it work for you make yourself happy do what you can do that's good for you that's good for the environment that's good for other people um that you know even if you are exhausted at the end of the day but you go home satisfied that's an amazing place to be so it's a leap of faith it is brave but i definitely recommend it um and now actually it's perhaps a little easier when it comes to marketing what you do because we have social media when I first started social media definitely wasn't what it is now um and I was putting little um kind of adverts in local magazines and newspapers and I haven't done that for years and years and years now because we have Instagram (laughs) (laughs) that does it all for us but it is worth it it is worth taking a leap of faith whatever it is that you're passionate about follow your passion um one way or another if you can yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Having been a corporate career marketing sales director, having then done that for many, many years and, and then sort of doing a bit of flower farming on the side and then thinking, I wonder if I can ever make any money out of this, to transitioning completely, my life is completely transformed. And then I think about the opportunities that come your way. Even this podcast, I started out from here, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it every Friday, I'll be really consistent. And I've done 78 episodes or something like that, maybe even more. You're out there doing it and you think, I wonder if anyone's listening. And you quite often get a bit of feedback. And then yesterday we were in the top 1.4% globally. And then you think, oh, maybe people are listening. This is quite odd. 
and then number four in the UK after the RHS, Gardener's Question Time and Arthur Parkinson. So I thought, oh. hey, hold on a minute. So yeah. you just keep doing it. And at some point you think, I don't, you know, this isn't, I, I'm not really reaching people. I don't know what's going on here. Because with a podcast, it's one way, isn't it? You're kind of thinking, you see the downloads, but you can't really know who's subscribing. And then you, one day you wake up like yesterday and you think, hold on a minute. So maybe there are things you'll do that you don't know how it's like the opportunities that are going to come your way or what's going to happen at the time you're going to do them. But you should just try. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, and I just congratulations also on your podcast. That's amazing, isn't it? I feel I very privileged to be here. <laughs> Madness. But, it's, but it's, it is, it's sort of testament to just not really knowing and then one day waking up and thinking, okay, all those Fridays were worth it. Yeah, I and and also sometimes we feel like, like you said, is anyone listening? But if you've got something to say, there is always someone that does want to hear it, or or it resonates with them, or it's helpful to them. So I think it's a great thing to put yourself out there, and that can be scary, you know, putting yourself out there. But it is worth it, as you've just proven by telling us those amazing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's just a bit of a shock. I'm still in shock. So. <laughs> I know you're an advocate of improving mental health with gardening. I mean, I'm a massive advocate of this. I've had lots of people on the podcast, and I've had GPs who were working during COVID and have now given up one day a week to work in therapeutic gardens and build websites about getting involved in therapeutic gardening. I've talked to um, the director of RHS, Alistair Griffiths, who's doing a massive scientific project about mental health with gardening. I've talked to PhD students who's doing about not necessarily gardening, more about being in the garden for mental health. I mean, I'm so involved in it. And so sort of, and so people like Sue Stewart-Smith and the World Garden Mind and all of the area of that whole mental health and gardening has started to really, really accelerate. So tell us about, you, you know, why you're an advocate of it and how you get involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I guess it started really, when I was still working in HR, because some days it could be pretty stressful. And I would go to my allotment in the evenings. And the only way I could describe the feeling was that I was resetting for the next day. So it was at a time where, you know, horticulture, gardening, Instagram, um, mental health wasn't a, a, a big thing. It certainly wasn't spoken about. It wasn't, you know, in the media or magazines or we wouldn't be having this conversation back then. No, no. Um, and the only way I could describe it was that I was I would go I would crave going there and I would go there and my mind would be clear. Then I would go home, you know, get on with the evening and I'd be fresh, ready for the next day. And on the evenings that I couldn't go to the allotment, I felt stressed, like I couldn't quite settle. And over time, that got me thinking, am I the only person who feels like this? Like, what is being out here growing my own, you know, veg and cut flowers doing for me? Um, and that's really when I began to research a lot more into the therapeutic benefits of, of, of being outside, nature, gardening, around the trees, you know, anything, um, you know, outside, basically. And I was really very surprised at that point to learn that actually, you know, therapeutic gardening has been used since records began. You know, ancient monks would send what we would then call distressed souls to a garden. 
um, and that the word paradise is actually an old Iranian word that meant walled garden. So paradise is not the Maldives. Well, it is. I mean, <laughs> let's face it. That's pretty much beautiful, an amazing place to be. But the word apparently comes from an old Iranian word, which meant walled garden. Um, and there's loads and loads of documents that exist showing how gardens were used to help people's mental health. Um, and really, that's kind of where it all began. And then some years later, I had a really big operation and it healed me, you know, mind, body and soul. I wanted to be out in the garden, like physically, it helped me recover mentally, definitely. Um, and also spiritually, I think you feel very connected and understanding of the life cycle by being outside in the garden. So all those elements kind of came together over um, just a, a couple of years, really. And that's when I just thought, you know what, this is something that I have to try and get word out there about and talk to people about and just put, you know, put it out there. And really, that's sort of when my Instagram account began, which I don't even know when it was, Ros, maybe. I mean, it was so many, it was before Instagram was a thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, But it was just about trying to help other people uh, to see that just being outside is is helpful and it's kind of just all gone from there I know I, I totally agree if I if I don't get out in a day let's say I'm stuck to my desk doing various different things um ordering seeds or ordering tulips or whatever I'm doing admin wise I kind of feel yeah. a bit closed in I need yeah. to I need to see nature so I work in a study which ha- has outdoors to a little literal space at the back of our house but I call it the Mediterranean garden because it's the hottest place and I have mm. a water feature that I put on every day rain or shine and it's kind of like that kind of works a little bit but ultimately it's about just get up go out whether that's 10-15 minutes half an hour an hour whatever you can spare I've got to walk the dog anyway just get on with it yeah. so if I'm not flower farming I still need to get outside and I really relate to that whole stress just get out just walk away and then also it seems very like nothing is that important really um, yeah when you're walking around stressed and it's like mm, time to um yeah I mean I really really I'd love to get more involved in that area um my daughter yeah. my youngest daughter was a sufferer of anorexia and she yeah. spent a time between the ages of about you needed to be 18 to 23 in a Amy Winehouse a property in London where you could apply to have rent-free flat if you had been if you were recovering from an addiction, which anorexia is. So she was recovering from an addiction and she was a student. So she took this flat in London. And I have to tell you, they had this garden which looked really sorry for itself. And there was probably about 18 different females in this house, all having their own flats. And by just working on the garden, it was amazing just to see yeah. the transformation. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm really, really interested in it. And how, and, and talking to this doctor on the podcast, Dr. Plaxton, his name is. Yes. He, he basically um, thinks that um, social prescribing is the way to go. Yeah. Um, and he social prescribes. Um, yeah. So it's like, can we social prescribe it? And how do we do that? And that whole area is really, I mean, I don't think many people who are suffering from depression or anxiety would even know it was available to them. So no, I mean, it does come down to doctors understanding the importance of being outside. I think there is a, a, a distinction between 
um, gardening or being outside for mental health and social and therapeutic horticulture. So if you are feeling stressed, a bit overwhelmed, um, that kind of thing, going out, you don't have to name it, but going out in the right. gardens should help you. But social and therapeutic horticulture is um, a specific, it's, it's a way of using plants and nature to improve your health whether that's mental or physical health. Um, and, and that's a slightly different thing in that it would be a more structured approach to how that project is going to help you. I actually know um, Dr. Richard Claxton and also Dr. Alistair Griffiths as well. Um, I think actually the day we're recording this, um, uh, Richard has an event on, a social and therapeutic horticulture event. I think it's today. Um, where he's gathering lots of people together to talk about the future of social prescribing. I mean, you know, we're calling it social prescribing, but years ago it was done um, anyway. Who knows what it was called? But, you know, people who had mental health issues were sent to garden. Um, And then we kind of lost that connection, didn't we, with nature through, I don't know, agriculture and industrial revolution, modern technology. We've kind of lost that now. Um, And we're coming back round a little bit. And there are more doctors starting to uh, socially prescribe. So before um, going towards medication or even a social therapeutic horticulture project, they might say, I recommend you go um, for a walk every day for an hour or, you know, and then come back and see me in three weeks and tell me how you feel. Um, And then perhaps if that's not working, it would let's refer you to a social and therapeutic horticulture project where you will go to someone who's fully trained in um, in applying different methods within the garden to help your mental or physical health. Um, And the results of those projects are incredible. But what it comes down to is the doctors knowing that that's available, there being social and therapeutic horticultural um, um, projects available in your local area um, and, and prescribing it correctly to the people you know, who who need it, who it, who it could help. Um, and I think that there is change in the air because I think it is happening. You know, we know so much more about how nature benefits us as humans. Um, and I think it will come back around a little bit more. And people like Dr. Alistair Griffiths and Dr. Uh, Richard Claxton are trailblazers for it, you know, really getting out there in the industry and and getting people to do it. So Alistair with his research, Richard with his pushing for the prescribing. And I think it will happen. I think it will come around, you know, and, and that's kind of exciting to think that more people will get out there in nature, away from computers and, you know, phones and everything else and just really enjoy being outside. And it makes me excited because I I want people to feel how I feel, you know, after a day outside or going for a walk or forest bathing or growing your own food. It's just such a satisfying, lovely feeling. And I wish everyone could have that feeling. <laughs> Which we all can. Which we yeah. all can. It's like the encouragement, isn't it? To just step outside, take little chunks at a time and just go out in nature and just have a look. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, like you say, that there is a, a big difference between therapeutic wellness, if you like, and social prescribing and even just stress and which can obviously it's not great and obviously one can be connected to the other but just going outside and just doing something every day is worthwhile absolutely couldn't agree more so i see that you run wellness days and retreats do tell us more what do you do on these wellness i had a quick look and i was 
Are you might interested. So, <laughs> well, this days in retreat. So jump yeah, on the planet, I decided. <laughs> come along, Rose. Come along. Um, it's back in uh, 2020. I was in the US while there was um, lockdown and I couldn't get to my allotment and I had a little balcony. So I was watching everyone online going to their allotments, making their allotments look beautiful. And I just had this little balcony and I was like, oh, what can I do here? You know, what can I do to feel like I'm helping and I'm still involved in the gardening world and making sure that those who could go outside for their 30 minutes of time during lockdown, make the most of that 30 minutes for their wellness. So I decided to um, ask lots of people who I knew to blog about their story, about their um, gardening story, how it's helped their mental health and wellness, and um, some hints and tips, that kind of thing. And I put it on my website, and it was called People, Plants, Wellbeing. It was as simple as that. And my website doesn't get that many hits. I mean, it's just me showing, you know, book me for a talk kind of thing. But all of a sudden the hits went wild. So I was thinking, wow, people are reading this. People are interested. So then, um, not last year, the year before, I actually made People Plants Wellbeing into its own standalone wellness consultancy. And we do things like team days and wellness days for companies, where it's, of course, all outdoors, nature, gardening, uh, forest bathing, that kind of thing. And I do wellness retreats and wellness days. And really, it's just to allow people to step out of the busyness of life and give themselves permission. You don't need permission, I might say, but we have to, we seem to have to give ourselves permission (laughs) to go outside and just spend a day in nature We'll do forest bathing walks and talks. We've had we do crafting. We have plant based food. We sit around a bonfire in the evening. We do stargazing. Um, we do foraging and all kinds of different things. Just like bathing in the magic of the forest. We do mindful gardening classes as well. Um, and it's just a really wonderful place to be. And the first one I actually done the retreat. I had no idea how it would turn out. I just wanted people to feel like they could connect better with nature. And um, it was truly magical. I just facilitated it. It was the people that came with their energy and their alignment with each other and the chats that people had and the walks people took and just time out. And it was beautiful. And I'm now I know that this is absolutely essential you know for people's health and well-being and and that's what I'll be doing kind of going forward as well it's uh, going really well and uh, you can find it at peopleplantswellbeing.com I did have a look I obviously had a look so you've got so much knowledge of gardening and, and health and well-being and obviously presenting we'll talk about your podcast in a minute but where did you gain all that knowledge you know what would you recommend to others where can they start well uh firstly I'm an obsessive reader I have books books and more books (laughs) and I will read from the second I wake up every spare minute throughout the day until I go to sleep and there's some amazing resources out there but it really all began for me in the garden you know there is no better way to learn 
how to garden and understanding plants and you know their habits and the names of them and what works well with what in what aspect and soils and all the other things there's no better way than just doing it um and experimenting and seeing what and seeing what works and over the years you build up kind of your own knowledge and I did take my RHS qualifications which was um was good and it was helpful and I'm very pleased that I did and I do recommend you know doing it for sure but if you don't um or you can't it's not it it won't impact your knowledge negatively because there's so much resource out there now there's so much you know online people writing amazing books loads of stuff on Instagram and social media but there's nothing better than just getting your hands dirty you know and once you've grown I don't know, a cabbage, for example, year after year after year after year after year, you're going to, you're going to start to know it inside out. You, you, if you do one season, it's not quite enough because next season will be different. And the season after that will be different, you know, so you've got to keep on doing it and learn as you go. And that's really the best way. And, and, and the way I learn, I think best as well. Oh gosh, we're still learning. We're now going into our 13th year of growing. And we still, even we had a, a team meeting yesterday and there were still things we learned this year that we would never do again. We will never grow wallflowers again. We will never grow calendula in Prince Bright Orange. We will <laughs> never grow yellow croissants. And I'm not even sure where they came from. I'm sure they were meant to be green. And so there's kind of like every year. And so it's yeah. even 13 years later, we go, well, we'll do that again. And what about that? And we shouldn't have fed that. And what about that moth that ate those probascum? And you know and it didn't happen the year before and it probably won't happen next year but it's kind of like and I think that's why it's really good for you because it's about being in the moment isn't it you can't think about what's going to happen you can't also think about what already has happened you can only think about what's happening now today at this moment in the garden so I think that's probably just being in the present is a good thing stay with us we'll be right back a small business do reels get you reeling? Is SEO just a three letters put together? Content planning something you know you should be doing, but just never get round to it? Do join our growth club online. What is it? It's a supportive community. It's all about growing your business. It provides trainings and guest speakers join us every month. Is it time to work on your business and not in it? The link for more information is in the show notes. Absolutely. I don't, you know, I don't, we, we know that, you know, mindfulness is, is a buzzword, but it is very good for you. And when you're in the garden, you, you are mindful because, you know, you can't rake and sow at the same time. You can't, you know, be working out what you're going to plant where and thinking about your shopping list at the same time you know so you are yeah. being very present there's no point in worrying about what next year you know will bring because you want the things you're growing now to grow I use winter to think about the following year but during you know spring and summer I'm very much you know focusing on what's happening right here right now and the learning never ends you know, you there is no gardener on this planet. I'm sorry, not even Monty Dawn. There is no gardener that knows everything. Things change all the time. The climate's changing. 
plant breeding is is different people's um what people want I guess like you know with as a flower farm what people want changes every single year there's new science there's new technology it's never ending learning and for that reason it is a wonderful wonderful career or hobby to to be immersed in yeah 100% yeah I mean every day I'm a bit of a bookworm like you and I'm just looking at my bookcase full of full of books of which I haven't managed to read them all but as soon as a new plant or or anything to do with growing cut flowers becomes available it lands on my desk I mean mm-hmm. I think well I do have a subscription to Amazon and um, it arrives and it and I read it ferociously as much as I can and I always have a pile that I'd like to read and I'm also with magazines I've just cut something out today I'm just ferocious with it out of um, country <laughs> life. The Cutting Garden Diaries. I thought, oh, what's that? Can I read that? So it's kind of like you can't um, can't get away from it. But your podcast, tell us about Chops the Charts and has been consistently producing episodes. I mean, the biggest thing about podcasting, isn't it, is consistency. And to do it consistently isn't easy. And lots of people start out and then don't carry on consistently. But how did it come around? How did your partnership work? You've got a partnership in your podcast as well. Tell us all about it. Well, years ago, I don't really know how long ago it was now. I'm I'm thinking maybe eight or nine years ago. I used to run a gardening club in Norwich where I live and it was called No Fear Gardening. And um, I was speaking to some friends of mine from London saying, come up, come to the first No Fear Gardening because I want as many people as possible to come. And they came up and they said, oh, we're just going to bring a friend. We think you'll really like him. Um, this isn't a date. It sounds like a plant date, but it wasn't at all. There was no <laughs> blind date. You want to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, they said, we're going to bring our friend up. We think you're going to love him because he is like, well, all into plants. So uh, my friends came up for the event and along with them came Michael Perry, Mr. Plant Geek. And he were he'd done a talk actually he'd done a talk a little talk at that event I think it was impromptu you know I can't remember now but we hit it off straight away and I went down to visit him at um Jimmy's farm where he was working for Thompson wow. and Morgan and they had trial farms uh trials fields there yeah. and I went down to meet him and it, it was at the time that I was also producing and presenting uh, the horticultural content on tv and so I'd done some filming with him and we just got on really well and we became good friends. We were friends for a few years doing bits and pieces here and there, a little bit of social media. Um, when we just said, how can we reach more people? Because it was definitely before, you know, the the rise of gardening on Instagram. You know, what can we do about, you know, we love talking about plants how can we talk about them more and how can we reach more people to, you know, hopefully inspire other people to love plants? And we said, well, let's do a podcast. And we are both the same. We we just say yes, even if we don't have a clue what we're doing. We worry about that That's later. Me. That's me. <laughs> well, it's the best thing to do. Don't yeah. worry about it. Just say yes and then go right now. How are we going to do it? And that's exactly what we did. Um, and so somehow or another, we pulled together the plant-based podcast. Um, and it's not just about gardening, but it's about how plants are incorporated into our lives in any way. So it could be clothing, food, gardening. I mean, we've even interviewed a company in America who produce hemp insulation. Um, so we've gone down all kinds of different avenues where plants are involved. Um, and selfishly, 
I come away from every episode learning something new. So I never want it to end <laughs> because yeah. you, you, we speak to so many experts about so many different topics. You know, I don't know everything about moss. I, you know, not even a little really, but we interviewed uh, Dr. Neil Bell from the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh and he is a moss specialist and it was absolutely <laughs> fascinating fascinating and so you come away from every episode learning something new and we can just you know we only hope that listeners are learning and feeling inspired by all these amazing guests as well and you know we just have a laugh to be honest we just have a giggle about it plants can be fun I love the I love doing podcasts more than anything else I love it because you're right. I learn something every day. I've learned all sorts of, you know, sustainable floral projects that's being run in the US and California, and that will change the whole world of using floral foam, which isn't degradable in the environment. So that's really interesting, and I learned loads. Now, I learned, honestly, every single episode, I learn something, and I think, oh, this is great. I could do this all day long. You know, I could just do podcasting and radio performing all day long, and that would be fab. Um, yeah. But I do love it. I can see why why you love it too. Yeah, it's a bit addictive. <laughs> but you know, you know, I get to speak to people like you, Roz. You know, Aww. we both love flowers and plants, and you know, being outside. And there's that commonality. And sometimes, you know, if you if your friends or family aren't into the same kind of things as you, this is a way of finding that common ground with other people and knowing that you're not alone and there's other people that love plants out there. And that's one thing that, you know, social media has done. It's opened this whole world up, you know, to people that, you know, love plants essentially. And that's where podcasts have come from and all kinds of different things. So it's a lovely place to be. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So tell us about some of your guests, you know, anyone who's left a lasting impression on your podcast or, or was funny in some way or wasn't what you expected. Do you have a memory of a couple of people or a person who's been mm. on your podcast? This is really tricky because, I mean, we have interviewed so many people. I know. It's impossible to even remember all of them. I know I should remember all of them. Um, I I want to say, to be honest with you, the ones that, really resonate with me are the ones where we're talking to someone who's perhaps working closely with the community or doing something that's you know really beneficial to people and the planet recently we spoke to the glass house project they um they work in women's prisons uh you know helping people to learn about plants and growing house plants and then they sell the house plants which is a really amazing project um, but then we've also interviewed quite a lot of celebrities like Ham, um, Hamza Yassin, who won Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, now I'm really <laughs> jealous. <laughs> <laughs> he was absolutely lovely. Um, we've interviewed Liz Earle and we went to her wonderful studio, uh, which uh, was in Barnes. I, it was in Barnes. It was a beautiful little studio. Um, with all her magazines and lovely candles and beautiful fragrant things everywhere she was lovely um, I think the one that stands out for me perhaps the most is Chris Packham who's just a bit of a hero of mine um, and <laughs> we went to his garden we were sitting in his garden interviewing Chris Packham and you know you just have these moments in life where you just think how did I get here <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> and I he was absolutely lovely showed us his enormous bird feeders and his wildflower meadows and he was really excited to show us this amazing wasp nest that he had in his shed and his dogs were there running around us 
And I just sat there thinking, this is the best job in the world. Because <laughs> I think that's what podcasting does, doesn't it? I think it, yeah, like it's a bit unreal, isn't it? And I remember you know, different people along the, along the way. You know, I interviewed Dr. Olivia Chappell, who's head of Horatio's Garden. Yeah. And obviously producing gardens and spinal units, such an inspiration. I am thinking, yeah. wow, what you're doing and you, you want the yeah. garden and all the spinal units of the United Kingdom would be your dream. That kind of like, that left me with, wow. Yeah. And then um, Sue Stewart-Smith of the World Garden Mind, just talking to her, talking yeah. about the fact that I didn't realise that in the world wars, um, they were in the trenches, they were there for an awful long time. I didn't quite gather that how long they were there for i just thought oh, they were a short period of time they actually had gardens and grew yeah. things and you thought hold on a minute in world war one and two they had trenches where they grew things and yeah. i'm thinking so it's all like an education and yeah, yeah that's what i love about podcasting 100%. i do i agree I think um, just because you'd mentioned there about the war, um, we it once just sprung to mind that really hit home with me and actually made me very emotional. We interviewed uh, Lalagi Snow. She's a, a photographer and journalist. And she wrote a book called War Gardens. And she travelled all over um, the world to war zones to interview people who were still gardening in amongst conflict. Um, and she was telling us their stories and, you know, how she could even gain access to those areas. But then the book is really emotive, like the photographs of people just in the garden with barricades up and all kinds of things. Um, and that was an emotional episode. But it really did bring home how important gardens are to people. You know, th those gardens brought um, people hope and they do all of us to you know we, we we hope for the next season or the flower to bloom or whatever it is but put that hope that we have and put that into a war zone you know those gardens bring those people such hope and that was an incredible episode oh, I've just added a book to my list so <laughs> I think that would be an amazing book to read War yeah. Gardens War Gardens by Lalagi Snow Stay with us. We'll be right back. The new Plants of Distinction Autumn Catalogue is now available and contains over a thousand different flower and vegetable seeds with over 150 new and exciting varieties added this year alone. Cut flowers in an extensive array of individual colours are a speciality and added to this are many unusual annual and perennial seeds together with the hard to find heritage favourites. So if you're looking for something a little different, be it choice cutting flowers suitable for both fresh and dried arrangements or cottage garden and container growing varieties, you need look no further. You can download or request a copy of the new autumn catalogue by visiting the website plantsofdistinction.co.uk where an exclusive 30% discount is available to all podcast listeners when ordering seeds by using the discount code Cut Flower 30. My list. That's absolutely on my list. And you've done a radio show. A radio show is my personal dream. I think this is a little bit like podcasting. I'd like to do it like sort of almost like question, Gardener's Question Time or kind of like some both ways and sort of like as podcasting is. So 
radio show. How did you manage to do a radio show? Well, firstly, a radio show is a lot like podcasting, but there's a lot more buttons. (laughs) (laughs) If you're no good with buttons, don't do it. If you could handle the deck, then you're good. Um, Yeah, it was a community radio uh, show, and I'd done it for three years, weekly. Uh, It was on a Thursday evening, and I had guests from all over Norfolk, sometimes further afield, who would call in. Sometimes they would come into the studio it was great fun. Um, it was another wonderful way to, you know, get the joy of plants out there to the community. We used to talk to like allotment holders. So you'd get really funny, you know, stories and some yeah. really interesting people coming in talking about plants. And it was really good fun. I mean, and playing the music, I got to pick the music. So, I mean, it's quite my, my musical tastes are eclectic. Like I like classical music, but I also like, you know, funk and pop. So it would be a whole mix of who knows what. Um, and it was just really, really good fun. And actually towards the end of doing that show, I was also doing the vegan radio show with two other presenters there as well. Um, before, I mean, I just had such a lot of work on something had to give, and it was the radio show at that time, but it was really good fun. And you might be able to still hear some of the shows online. It's Future Radio. I'm not sure if they still have them on their website, but there certainly were a few months back. So it's really good fun. Wow. And two books. We can't miss this because we've said you're a gardener, author, speaker, presenter and podcaster. So yeah. an author, two books, How to Grow a Garden and the Joy of Gardening. Wow. And they were both published around the same time. I mean, how did you do this? I well, first of all, my teachers would never believe I'd written a book, but apparently, I've written two. Uh, I still can't believe it myself. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, the first one was written during lockdown, so lockdown worked out very well for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the the uh, the publisher Quercus Books or Greenfinch, which is an offshoot of workers books came to me and said they wanted to write um three mini books which are the joy of series so one was the joy of baking which a lady from um the bake-off wrote one was the joy of writing things down which was uh, another lady who does writing and journaling and the other was the joy of gardening and that was me and so um i got that written in pretty quick speed considering <laughs> you know there wasn't a whole lot else to be doing during that period of time and then uh, we found an illustrator and those books um were all released which is a lot I love that little book it's not very big it's very light-hearted it's very colorful it's about activities that you do in the garden and how to link them to your well-being you know it's even going out in the garden in the morning perhaps with your bare feet and saying some affirmations to yourself for the day things like weeding how to weed out negative thoughts while you're weeding um you know when you're sewing just to think about the life cycle as you're sewing and how that relates to us as humans so it takes you kind of on a journey throughout your growing year uh, but linking these activities even down to sharing your produce because you know you will you uh, Alistair Griffiths who we've already spoken about was part of the, the RHS study um, that shows that there's three main elements to our well-being and that's physical mental and social because we are social beings you know 
even though sometimes we won't want to hide away in our garden on our own, <laughs> you know, just sharing the knowledge and going to plant sales or seed swaps or community gardens or just having friends over and using your homegrown food and telling them about it, that kind of thing. Um, and then off the back of that, Quercus then said, how would I, um, would I, would I like to write a book um, about how to grow a garden so really a beginner's guide to growing a garden and uh, that takes you all through basic botany basic latin names um you know the the anatomy of a plant through to what you might look for when you go to the garden center to buy a plant you know even the pots and the labels what do they mean and i had to really put myself back in a place of if i didn't know anything about plants i was completely new what questions would i ask you know um, and that's how to grow a garden. And that was released last year. So, yeah, that's two books. I'm having a break now. <laughs> I was going to say, is there another one coming up? Is there another one well, coming maybe, up? but maybe, but not just yet. <laughs> <laughs> so what has been your biggest challenge, do you think, over the years? Um, th- that's a really good question. My biggest challenge. Um, do you know, I don't. I don't know. I, I think I'm, I try very hard to look at everything so positively that anything that might be conceived as a challenge, I kind of don't, I just get on with it anyway. (laughs) Um, I do think in my earlier days of gardening, being at the time, young and female, I, there were some challenges surrounding that being taken seriously. Um, people believing that you knew what you were doing I can remember perhaps uh, I used to do all of the gardens in my village not all of them but lots of them and somebody once asked me to graft some apple trees and I don't know how many of those uh, how many grafts I'd done but there were at least 80 to 100 I mean it was just squillions because he had these old English apple trees it took me so long Never ask me to graph an apple tree because no. I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> um, and I put in my invoice for that and he didn't pay it for a while. And I bumped into him at the garage and I, I said to him, you know, will you be paying me? And he said, yeah, here you go. I, he said, how much was it? And Ros, I don't remember how much it was. Say it was a hundred pounds. And I would have said a hundred pounds. And he said, well, here's 60. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely been challenges from being um, a a gardener, so people sometimes don't take that as a, a serious, you know, profession, and also perhaps being young at the time of female. Like if someone said that to me now, I'd be like, no, not a chance, you know, yeah, <laughs> not a chance, you're paying me. But I kind of didn't. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so perhaps the perception of gardening um and being a young female in in gardening at that time I mean we were talking 20 years ago or so um was different and I'm hoping that that's changing now but I would say perhaps that's been my biggest challenge stay with us we'll be right back this podcast episode is sponsored by first tunnels Leaders in domestic and commercial polytunnels. A polytunnel is an amazing protective environment for plants, vegetables and flowers, extending any growing season. And whether you're growing for pleasure or commercially, whether you go for a small or a large tunnel, you can be assured of the same high quality product 
from first tunnels polytunnels. I personally have three of their polytunnels. Two of them I've had for over 10 years and I highly recommend First Tunnels Polytunnels for their product and also for their great customer service, which is second to none. Do pop over to their website and take a look at their range. www.firsttunnels.co.uk So who inspires you? Who keeps you going? Where do you get your inspiration from? Um, well, nature, really, you know, nature is the inspiration for everything. And we always talk about reconnecting with nature, don't we? But it's, I don't think, I think it's more than that. I think it's remembering that we are nature. So, um, nature is the inspiration for everything that I do, how I think, how I feel. And I guess also watching new people getting inspired by being in the garden you know, watching that enthusiasm and excitement of pulling your first carrot or, you know, sowing your first seeds and the first sunflower growing or your nasturtiums that, you know, you're eating like, wow, I can eat a flower, that kind of thing. I love it when, you know, people are excited about it. And and when new people come into gardening and have that excitement, I think that makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. You know, keep trying to get more people involved. Yeah. And any if you had to take three books to a desert island, which ones would you take? Oh, oh, that's the hardest thing ever. Um, uh, is is there a book that's called Desert Island Cooking? Because if there is, I'll take that. <laughs> Perhaps you could write that one as your next one. Yeah. How you forage and cook on a desert yeah. island. Exactly. So if there's that book, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably take something to remind me I would probably take a remedies book as well you know like a herbal remedy book I've got one which is a Neil's Yard remedies book that's quite nice um you know how I could you know what plants I could use to you know keep me well um and I'm going to throw a really odd one in there but there's a book called Cider with Rosie and when I was a kid, my stepdad read that book and he absolutely loved it. And he gave it to me when we were on holiday in France one year. And he said, Ellen, you're going to love this book. I loved it. I really want you to read it. And we've spoken about that book over the years on and off. So I just think that would be a really lovely kind of memory of people back home. I think I did that for my GCSE, actually. Side of uh, yeah. My yeah, goodness. probably. We are going back a few years now. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you'll have on your desert island. You'll have eaten well. You'll yeah. still be healthy and well-being, and then yeah. you'll have lots of memories. So I think that's pretty amazing. That's pretty yeah. Amazing. So three quick questions, which are always difficult. What's your favourite flower? Marigold. Is it? Tagetes. Now I'll tell. Hang on, I'm going to tell you why. Actually, peonies comes in a close second. But I was saying earlier on about how my uncle kind of got me into gardening. But he, he was an organic kitchen gardener. So all those years ago when pesticides were, you know, advertised as being the thing, he was absolutely against that even back then. And I mean, this is 40 years ago or maybe 35, 40 years ago. And he was like, absolutely not. So he used to use companion planting and he used to have tons of marigolds. And because of that, it reminds me of him. So I always pick it as my number one go to. And it's medicinal. You can eat it. It's great in the garden. It's massively underrated. And your favourite dream job? 
When you're a child, when you're a child, what do you think you're going to be when you grew up? An RAF pilot. Don't ask me. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I've got, really cool. I've, yeah, I've got no words for it, really, but that was it, apparently. <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor, but I'd have been a terrible doctor. <laughs> uh, it's not got, you've got to be a certain sort of person, and I definitely wasn't that at a certain point. So if you won the lottery, what would you do now? So you woke up tomorrow morning and you've won 20 million. What would you do? I would definitely buy a small holding and grow food for the community and cut flowers to make people happy and some rescue animals uh, and live off the land. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, we do it to a point. I have animals on the land and obviously growing on the land and we want to be as sustainable as we can. But winning the lottery would change things, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it would totally change your life. And I would hope that if I was to ever be lucky enough to earn, uh, to to win any money like that, I would want to just put that back into the community one way or another. And I think, you know, being able to have people over to learn how to grow their own food or do well-being sessions, like love a big barn where people could come and like do crafting and just do lovely wellness stuff. <laughs> that <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> I hope you win it. I hope you win it. That would be a lovely thing to do. Wouldn't it be a great project? Oh, um, you've got me excited now. I'm going to have to do the lottery this week. <laughs> <laughs> I do it on subscription just in case, but I never win anything. So Good idea. One day, Ros, one day. <laughs> so what's next for you, Ellen? What do you, do? What do you see? What's next year, the year after? What's your plan? You're just moving house. Uh, yes, I'm moving house. So I live in the UK for half of the year and I live in the US for half of the year, which is where my husband's working at the moment. And we're moving house here in the UK um, this week. And then mm. when I get back to the US mid-October, we're also moving house there. <laughs> so <laughs> I know it's a bit crazy. So at the moment, that's my immediate plan. I'm not very good at planning for the future and I never have been. I tend to just kind of go with the flow and, you know, see what opportunities arise. And like I said, I'm always a yes person. I do have some stuff coming up with the RHS and I really hate it when people tease things and then they don't really tell you. I really can't tell you. But but, follow you um, on Instagram. We'll find out. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram, Ella Mary Gardening. And uh, you will find out about those things soon, which is really exciting. And People Plants Wellbeing, you know, I'm all in on that at the moment. We're doing more retreats, more wellness days, forest bathing, walks, um, team days. um, And it's really the best thing. Like I've done a lot of media over the years, which I love. And I will always do it if that helps to promote gardening in any way. But really, for me, I want to be, you know, on the ground, you know, with people, bringing people and plants together so that's the loose plan moving here moving in whereabouts in the u.s uh we live in north carolina so charlotte north carolina which is also known as the city of trees thankfully and uh, i'm i very quickly became a member of the gardening club <laughs> and went to every single garden i could possibly go to but it's actually been amazing you know i had no idea what it would be like to be there but I've learned so much more about plants in general because there's so many species that we don't grow here that grow there and just meeting different people, you know, who, who garden. It's been a, a really enjoyable experience so far. 
jealous of that. Yeah, I'd quite like an internship in Japan or something. Or, oh. or even in a med, I'm talking about even Mediterranean, Italy, Middle East, yeah. Italy or Spain, yeah. because that's the climate we're going to have. So yes. they, they reckon that we'll have the climate of Barcelona by 2050. And we're moving right, that not way long. already. It's not yeah. far. No. no, it's not far. And so oh, yeah. it's here kind of moving that way. So they're saying now that we should look, if we're going to grow apple trees, we're going to grow big trees, we should look at what grows really well in the middle of France and yeah. basically grow that because our traditional apples will no longer be great for the climate we're going to have. So mm. that's what's going to happen. We're going to lose species and we need to think, okay, now what? And um, and do everything we can to stop it, but we are moving that way. But yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, I think um, stopping it is probably, I don't know, you know, scientifically, if that's even possible, but we can certainly slow it down uh, vastly. I mean, we could stop it if we just all, you know, stop doing all the crazy stuff that we do. But slowing it down really is the key, isn't it? And it's about resilient planting in the garden, knowing, you know, if you're planting something that's going to be there for years and years, is that going to sustain a change in climate in in not very long, like 20 years? Like 2050 is not long away at all. Um, so, yeah, climate change, I don't think we can stop it now. Having been, I am an environmentalist. I did an environmental science degree way back before anybody even thought about the environment. And we were talking about it then, and we're still talking about it now, 40 years later. And so... I don't think we can stop it, but we can certainly each of us do something a little bit to, to take steps to do something about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we do all have to look ahead at what we will plant and how we will grow in the future. Um, it's something that us gardeners are good at. We adapt. Um, and that's what we're going to have to do. Think about resilient planting. Actually, there was a book, wasn't there, by Tom Massey, uh, The Resilient Gardener. Yes. The, the Resilient Gardener. Um, and and that talks about, you know, planting for the future and climate change. So that's another good book to have a look at. I got that one, so I don't have to add that one to my list, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm still looking at wall gardens, so that's what I shall do at the end of this podcast. I shall go up and look at wall gardens. So, yes. Ellen Mary, I'd love to thank you for coming over. I could talk all afternoon. You know, an absolute <laughs> inspiration. Anybody who wants to get into gardening, anyone who's interested in well-being and gardening, anyone wants to do your wellness days, have a look at your books, follow you on your podcast, absolute inspiration. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. It's been such fun chatting with you and uh, good luck with all of your beautiful flowers for the rest of the year. Thank you very much. I look forward to next week's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review on your podcast app. We do have some wonderful free resources on our website at thecutflowercollective.co.uk. We also have two free Facebook communities, which we'd love you to join. For farmers or those who want to be flower farmers, we have Cut Flower Farming, Growth and Profit in Your Business. And our other free Facebook group is Learn with the Cut Flower Collective for those starting out on their flower journey. All of the links are below. I look forward to getting to know you all.